Welcome to the Global Band Group, a podcast that brings you stories, news, and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band, and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the global band room. And now on with the show. Welcome back to the band room. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. Shortly, I'll be joined by Philip Harper, conductor of the Corey Band. And we'll be talking about the amazing workshops and performances and competitions that they've been doing this year. Um, as well as finding out a lot more about the brass band scene in the UK. So if you come from a, a wind band background or maybe more of an American band, marching band background, the brass band scene in the UK is amazing and it's really a world of its own and we'll be digging deep into that with philip in this episode but first some news the global initiative for talented students together with their partners in perform america have just announced a new educational opportunity for high school marching bands in america but also marching bands from across the world um This is called the Marching Arts Division of the Medal of Distinction and it'll be a unique recording submission process designed to celebrate excellence in performance while simultaneously offering practical and exciting opportunities of growth for both students and directors. Look, we haven't had an opportunity to have many 2020 marching band shows this year and this is a really great opportunity if you have been working on something outside over the last month or two well while we've been able to work outside um, this is an opportunity to get some feedback and some adjudication so how do you enter well bands submit their 2020 show Uh, they record themselves from a single stationary camera up as high as possible uh, and no group will be excluded from this no matter your size your ability the style of band you are or indeed where in the world you come from no band will be excluded um, world-class adjudicators are part of this project too um, some of the top names in marching band in the u.s are going to be part of this and you'll get feedback from every single one of them so if you're new to the marching show band sort of scene or if you're looking to maybe dip your toes in that or if you're you've been doing it for years you're going to get some really really great feedback from this Uh, entry opened yesterday october 1st and you have right up until january 1st to make your submissions Um, so if you'd like to find out more about this you can go over to gifts movement that's gifts that's global initiative for talented students gifts giftsmovement.org and you'll find that in the show notes too. Now, this year I was really excited to be welcoming the Fanfare Zug Potsdam to Ireland as part of the festival that I direct here, the Celtic Band Festival. Unfortunately, well, 2020. Uh, if you've never seen a Fanfare Zug, these Fanfare bands, particularly out of Germany, they're amazing. All brass bands, very traditional in the types of instruments that they're playing. They almost look like a, a precursor to a, a drum corps with their Fanfare trumpets and uh, and drums and a very unique style of, of music and drill. Well, tomorrow, October 3rd, Saturday, October 3rd, is the German Day of Unity. And to celebrate that, Fanfarenzug Potsdam as well as Fanfarenzug from across Germany are putting together the Einheit Fanfarenzug which is the Unity Fanfare. Now you'll be able to watch this on YouTube, you can find the link in our uh, show notes here and it will be on at 7pm Irish and British Standard Time and 2pm Eastern Standard Time absolutely worth watching if you've never seen one of these types of groups before this is a great opportunity to do so so if you have any events or workshops webinars or performance opportunities particularly if they have a virtual slant to it where people from around the world can take part uh, you can email me at keith at globalbandroom.com and i'd be more than happy to mention them here maybe talk to you about them uh, and uh, let people know about participating in them 
And now over to my interview with Philip Harper of the Corey Brass Band from the UK. Philip, thank you so much for joining me at the Global Bandroom this evening. How has the last couple of months treated you since I talked to you last? <laughs> well, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's a good start for 2020. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, there's there's been some ups and some downs, you know, and uh, we, I mean, fundamentally, we're still here just waiting for live music to restart again. So uh, I'm not sure we've made much progress on that score. But uh, yeah, I've been finding uh, a few other bits and bobs to do. You certainly have. I mean, you're certain you you and, and and the rest of the Corey band and um, the brass band world generally have have been very active in in recent weeks and months. Uh, and I and I definitely want to touch on a lot of that later on. But from from myself, uh, I'm definitely more of a wind band guy and and always have been. And and so that the brass band world, as related as it is to the wind band, it is definitely its own community and it has its own. Uh, traditions and and uh, festivals and competitions and so on. So I really want to touch on a lot of that for anyone that anyone that listens to the podcast that really doesn't know much about the the British brass band tradition or the European brass tra- brand, band tradition. But let's find out a little bit about you first, Philip. Um, you you've had an incredibly successful career in uh, brass band as a as a performer and as a conductor. Tell me a little bit about where you. Um, started where where did your musical career start did you did you have a musical family growing up um or or were you involved in brass band growing up uh well neither of those things really i mean i often look back and what and wonder how on earth i did get into it to be honest with you (laughs) uh, no i mean there's no there's no family history of um uh kind of musical endeavors on on my side of things neither my mom or my dad or any of my grandparents um, musical, so uh, yeah, don't, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but um, <laughs> also in terms, ter- obviously, brass bands, as you've already said, is sort of a quite a niche of uh, music as well. Mm. So, um, it, I, I know the story my mother tells, which is that when I was a very young boy, I went to the cinema to see Star Wars, which was a um, a new release when I was very young, uh, and I came out of the cinema having uh, loved. The movie but what I was raving about all the time was the music uh, and I kept saying things to the effect of oh that's you know I'd really like to do that I was really, so exciting I'd really like to sort of get into that uh, and um, of course the, this, the music for Star Wars was um, composed by John Williams and played by the London Symphony Orchestra the principal trumpet of, of which was Maurice Murphy uh, and so uh, I think my my um, my mum had noticed just up the road um, where the secretary of the local sort of village band, if you like, our, our very local brass band lived, that there was a little wooden plaque which she'd sort of hammered into the grass at the front of her drive. And it basically said, look, I, I'm, I'm part of the brass band. And if you want to uh, come and join our band, then just knock on my door. So knowing <laughs> that I'd been to Star Wars, I'd been kind of knocked out by all of this brass music and seeing this little sign on the road, she went and knocked on the door. Uh, and that's how it all started for me, really. I was a given wooden a plaque. And um, I, I, I played <laughs> in the band. I stayed with that band for 10 years, the Castle Point Brass Band, uh, and just got more and more into it, really. By the time it was university time, I chose to, to study music because I got that interested in it. I was sort of showing an aptitude for it. And so, yeah, there's no sort of real big plan with me. And, and it certainly wasn't from the outset. I just sort of go from go from one thing that seems like a good idea at the time to another. And here I am today. Well, it just goes to show recruitment can uh, can, can take all sorts of forms. So a wooden plaque outside of uh, someone's someone's home, was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can... I can I've got quite a good visual memory, so I can actually remember what it looked like. It was uh, quite quite stylized, and I think they sort of uh, they burnt some of the writing into the middle. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely did the job, didn't it? <laughs> so, what did they get you started on when you joined the band? Yeah, I mean, my first instrument was my only instrument, really. It was the tenor horn, and it was the you know a familiar story. I sort of rocked up as a seven year old, uh, and they opened the cupboard and you know rummaged in and the first thing that came out was this sort of battered tenor horn and and I didn't because I guess because you know no one in my family had anything to do with this before I didn't know any better I didn't really know there was a choice of instruments they just said 
blowing there, which I did, <laughs> and that was it. And I kind of stuck with the tenor horn for uh, twenty five years, really, before I got into the into the conducting. So it's, it's quite a you know, if brass band is a niche musical activity, then the tenor horn is the sort of niche instrument of the brass band. So <laughs> there was never a particular future in it in terms of a professional career. But, I, you know, I still get it out of the box occasionally. Now now both my kids play in brass band, so if I ever sit in a, either of their bands, I, my tenor horn comes out once in a while. And what do they play? Are they tenor horn players? Uh, no, no. You know, they've had um, the sort of benefit of me knowing what's what. So, uh, <laughs> so Morris, my son, plays the tuba in the band and, and the percussion. Uh, and he plays the trombone. So those are instruments which are infinitely useful in not just the <laughs> lots and lots of other different settings as well. Yeah, that's, that's you know, you definitely know that you're a conductor picking the useful instruments for your kids to fill, to fill the band with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they, they can go sideways into, you know, orchestral work or they can do jazz mm-hmm. stuff or, you know, this, the, the, the world is their oyster musically <laughs> with those instruments. So, so growing up in the brass band world, and um, you know, competition was a, was de- definitely a part of the the wind band world here in Ireland. You know, there, there is the national band championships here, and there's the Clonakilty uh, South of Ireland band championships. I know you're very familiar with as well, but it's it's not it's not hugely part of of what the activity is. But competition seems to be a big part of the brass band world. Was it a big part of 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 uh, your growing up was competition sort of something that you aimed towards as a as a as a young uh, brass player growing up. Uh, well, I think I mean yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's so intrinsic to the brass band movement, and you know, remember, I didn't, I went into it completely with my eyes closed, it's so so sort of naive. I didn't have a clue what was going on, uh, but the bands that I was ended up playing with did these competitions, and so I just went along with that really. But I but I think when it boils down to it, I mean, you're right. The contest scene in the brass band world is absolutely just fundamental to the whole thing, really. And, you know, I know several bands, well, probably dozens of bands here in the UK, which which only do competitions. And and, and they don't really, you know, they, they might do the odd concert now and now and again, but they live for the competitions. I think it's just kind of appealing to some kind of base human instinct this sort of competitive gene really you certainly get you know there's a, there's this sporting element to it so you certainly get lots of ambitious kind of uh, single-minded uh, people in the world of brass bands for whom you know they can't think of anything better of a weekend to go and sort of put themselves under immense pressure and pit themselves against uh, other bands uh, you know, all for being in with a chance of, of winning a prize. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's a big, big part of it. But uh, I think it's just kind of um, responding to that part of human nature, really, the competitive nature in all of us. You know, I've spent the summer uh, recording a, a podcast for Drum Corps International, and that that's another activity, Drum Corps in, in, in the US, that's very much kind of based around excellence, and competition you know and there's always this debate within that activity and i'm sure it probably exists within the brass band activity too you can tell me whether it does or not about whether competition is a positive force or a negative force and whether whether the bands would 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 aim for the sort of levels and the 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 um the exceptional sort of performances that they have without competition. Do you think competition is a driving factor behind the the, the excellent British brass brass bands that exist? I, I think that's, in my mind, undoubtedly that is correct, uh, because you know mm. the, the competitive edge um, that, that that you need to have in your performances if you're going to succeed in these competitions pushes you over and above. You know what would what would be normal, really? I think it's all a bit kind of abnormal to push yourself to to such lengths. And this is this is the whole kind of quirk of the brass band world, really. Which you've got these, you know, up and down the country, you've got across the world, you've got hundreds of amateur players who are there for their hobby, and you know, go out during the day being a, a butcher, a baker, a postman, a policeman, a accountant whatever and then in the evenings or the weekends they come to their brass band and they can reach the most phenomenal standards of mm. musical quality i mean in some cases with some of the bands i've been involved with i'd say 
almost higher than a professional standard, um, certainly equal to a professional standard. Uh, and I think the, the drive to do well in these contests so they can have the bragging rights and say, oh, yeah, you know, we, we've won the British Open or we've got a hat trick at this or what have you. It's just <laughs> it's a real a real driver for for these uh, for these people. And of course, the way they get there is by increasing the quality of the standard of music. So I, I think the answer to your question is undoubtedly the contests do uh, account or probably a hundred percent for the the incredibly high standards of performance you have in the brass band world well it, it's funny you know anytime that i that i go um particularly to the u.s and i meet um any brass band fans over there and i say i'm from ireland and they immediately ask me do i know gary Curtin, um who i actually grew up with here in ireland as part of part of a few youth bands uh with gary with the irish youth wind ensemble and so on and so so brass band performers like gary do become celebrities uh people know who the who the solo cornet player is is with the Corey band or they 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 know who Gary Curtin is you know these these players are um are are considered celebrities within the within the within the activity yeah yeah i think and, and rightly so and you know the other thing mm. about competitions is that generally they'll they'll come up with an, a brand new kind of fiendishly difficult piece to uh, to kind of put everyone through their paces and then it's players like Gary who are just such phenomenal players the audiences love to go and see a phenomenal player being tested to the absolute max of their ability uh and of course they're pushing their own ability they're getting better and better the audience are loving it more and more that the music's getting more and more difficult so and, and you know around we go so but but you know gary as i've just detailed like everyone else is a is a sort of an amateur player by official status but in terms of performance quality I mean, just incredible. World class. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the brass band movement is full of those people, world-class players who, um, you know, wake up the next morning and go and teach maths at a school or some other job. So tell me, how did, how did the movement start? I mean, many people that are that are part of the movement, that, that know of brass bands in, in the UK and, 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 uh, and Britain generally, know kind of about the background of, of brass bands, but it's a really interesting beginning that a lot of the brass bands have in sort of um, sort of labor intensive uh, organizations that, that, you know, the mines being one of them, but, but lots of other factory brass bands and so on. Can you tell me a little bit about the sort of historical background um, of the brass band movement? Because it's, it's quite unique. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it goes hand in hand with the Industrial Revolution in in Great Britain, which, of course, happened sort of 200 years ago, uh, when, um, as you say, the sort of these sort of techniques of mass production kind of first dawned on humanity. And we got these factories growing up for the first time and um, sort of mass mining and, um, you know, all sorts of industrial activity. Uh, and, the, and the massive expansion of the labour force. Uh, and I think it was probably that competitive gene again, you know, when you've got, you know, Mr. Jones miner down there and Mr. Smith is rival sort of miner just over the hill. Uh, and, you know, to show that that they were better than the other miner, they, they sort of run every trick in the book, one of which was uh, to found a band and to have, your, have that band play better than the other band. Of course, the band consisted of, of of the workers so they'd knock off work at whatever time and then uh, they'd um, give themselves a quick wash down uh, and jump into the rehearsal room uh, and, um, and, and, the, and the workforce would make up the bands this is a sort of a stereotypical image which to this day now in the 21st century sort of 200 years later we, it's, it's very difficult for brass bands to shake off and a lot of people think you know that even the modern day brass band consists of people who've just come up uh, from underground with their face smudged with coal and stuff like that, which hasn't been the case for many, many years, but it's certainly how it started. Uh, and um, and then it just exploded, really. I mean, uh, there there was a band for every factory and in, in the communities as well, in every village. Uh, there was a big temperance movement which started their own bands as well. There's, there's still a lot of bands here in the UK which have the name Temperance in, in mm obviously a sort of a a way of um 
keeping keeping guys on the straight and narrow and away from the uh, away from the liquor. Uh, <laughs> and again, well, I, does that work? <laughs> does it work? <laughs> uh, I better keep quiet about that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that the band that I the band that I conduct here in Ballinasloe, if you look back in its uh, in Galway, if you look back in its history, was called the Ballinasloe Temperance Band, yeah. and I just always laugh at the idea that in the late eighteen hundreds, that so many Irish bands were being started with the word temperance in it. I didn't by the by the, if you look over the records, by the time you get to the eighteen nineties, the word the word temperance has been taken out of most of them. <laughs> It didn't last very long. That's true. I mean, I have to say, even the Corey Band's first name, it was founded in 1884, it was the Ton Temperance Band, exactly like you say. So mm. the, the band is from a very tiny village called Ton in um, in South Wales. Uh, yeah, it was originally a temperance band. But then to link back to my earlier point, uh, one, of the, one of the big um, wealthy colliery owners... Uh, was part of a Corey family dynasty. His name was Sir Clifford Corey. Uh, mm. And heard the Tom Temperance Band uh, playing at a local event and was impressed with the standard of performance. And he said to the organisers, look, I'm, I, I'd be interested in supporting the band. Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, and the, so the story goes, Sir Clifford Corey was the guy that sort of was the first benefactor of the band. And he uh, enabled the band to hire a professional musical director to help them with their development. And in return, they changed their name from the Tom Temperance Band to the Corey Band. So that, that, and that's what the band is known as still today. So it's, it's that kind of link with the industrial past. Yeah, it's it's a great story. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it seems to maintain that quite working class sort of uh, pride in what they do too which is which is fantastic and 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 links them so much to to their local communities too and to their into the industries that have made those those communities um do they still do a lot of the brass bands even though they they almost seem professional as you mentioned earlier on and in their standard are they very much linked with their communities still do do they train young musicians uh, a lot of the time I think more and more, actually, these days, the bands that, that you know have the best chance of surviving are the ones that can find the most relevant links to their community. I mean, it, it's probably the case even 20, 25 years ago, there were still some quite strong industrial links, really, in terms of some of the sponsorships uh, which which were around. Um, that's, that's all ended now, really. Um, and so bands are having to sort of reinvestigate their local communities, get involved with what what's happening in and around the town and get the support of the locals, really. Um, and so, yes, I think there was a lot of bands that, that are proactive in this area uh, and form their own junior bands and they go into the local schools and, um, you know, they just like I got my tenor horn out of the cupboard, they'll, um, they'll take along a box of instruments and hand the instruments out. So there's a lot of fantastic work like that going on. And like I say, I think more and more uh, these days in, in the 21st century. Let me jump in here quickly to tell you about the sponsors of today's show. Over the years, I've had the pleasure to host many visiting international bands, choirs and orchestras here in Ireland, alongside my own bands and groups. Every one of these events is exciting, and my favourite part of each exchange is seeing the musicians, kids and adults, interact with each other sharing their stories and experiences. If it wasn't for the accent, I'm not sure I could identify my own band kids sometimes. So when I got into the music travel business, I wanted to make sure I was working with a company that understood that these exchanges were at the heart of the experience, and not just something to be ticked off an itinerary. I've been so fortunate to find not one, but two companies, Celtic Horizon Tours in Ireland and Kaleidoscope Adventures in Florida. They share these values and they respect the ensembles and students that they work with. So whether you're trying to plan a domestic tour in the US with the highest of standards for ensuring your group is safe and healthy, or whether you're starting to plan for that international trip in 2022, you can contact me at keith at globalbandroom.com to start working with me and these world-class student travel teams. And while you're doing that, you're supporting the podcast and documentaries. Thank you. 
Now, you're also a prolific uh, composer, too. Um, have uh, How did you end up moving from tenor horn to conducting and composition? Where There's there's normally a, a pretty big landmark in a composer or conductor's uh, life where that becomes something that they want to aim for. Can you remember when you decided that that was the direction that you wanted to take with your career? Well, uh, well the composing had, had always kind of happened on the side since as long as I can remember, really, uh, certainly sort of 10 or 11 years old. And I was, you know, coming up with stuff at the piano. So that's something that's been a sort of a constant thread, uh, through my life really. But, you know, as a, as a young person, you go through life and you, and you concentrate on what you like doing But then at some point in your life, you realize, <laughs> you know, things are getting serious and you need to tr- start kind of earning a bit of money. <laughs> but that, that was the point <laughs> the, uh, the tenor horn was kind of ditched. I guess that was probably the point where I, I turned to the conducting. But what actually happened was um, after I'd finished at Bristol University, I went to live in Japan, the land of the rising sun, for a couple wow. of years. Uh, and it was when, whilst I was there in Japan, really, that I sort of had my epiphany. I decided to s- stop playing the horn, concentrate uh, almost entirely on conducting. And when I came back to the UK, it still wasn't enough for me to you know, earn, earn my living as a conductor so I trained as a teacher classroom music teacher uh, and I started off I did that for a, a couple of years uh, with some conducting on the side and then over the course of about six or seven years I took on more and more conducting and dropped more and more teaching uh, until about 15 years ago I just went entirely sort of freelance with the conducting and the composing so it happened it happened very gradually uh, with with me uh and you know there was always the caveat that if the conducting didn't work out um then i just continue being a classroom music teacher but you know fortunately i had lots and lots of opportunities so it didn't that that, that hasn't transpired yet but <laughs> i still think you know if, phone, if my phone stops ringing then i've still got my my teacher's qualification i'll just go <laughs> back into the classroom and uh, crack on with where i left off yeah and i mean like a conductor is a sort of teacher at, at, at times and um you know our, our bands um look to look to us for inspiration like like a classroom looks to their teacher for for inspiration i suppose um with your with your with your composing um uh, with, for brass band what are the what are the unique differences with composing for brass band over con- composing for orchestra or wind band or, or or chamber music for instance um there seems to be a a uh, a select number of composers out there that seem to be successful with the brass band movement um and and, and some that that do both wind band and brass band but what what do you think makes a successful brass band composer um i mean that's a good question on a, on a technical level obviously composition is composition and what you do with your ideas is you know the same whether you're spinning them out for an orchestra or a wind band or a brass band or whatever but where the um, sort of unique qualities of the brass band come in are, are in its scoring, of course. Uh, and I mean, it's. It, I guess I'm fortunate with brass bands that I started in brass band, so I know the score kind of intimately, hmm. uh, and and can move away from it. But if you if you if you are trained, you know, with an orchestra or a wind band classically then, for example, you will be used to the high instruments playing in treble clef and the low instruments playing in bass clef. That, that's pretty normal. Whereas when if you then transfer over and try and compose something for brass band, you'll find every single instrument on the score is in treble clef. Uh, even the, the B-flat bass, which is one of the lowest instruments that you'll ever come across, really. Uh, and, and this is a bit of a head scratcher, I think, for some people that are coming across from uh, from other genres of comp- comp- composition, just to kind of get their head around the quirks. I mean, this, this, uh, I just mentioned one quirk. There's plenty of <laughs> other special quirks of the brass band score, and I, and I think the reason for that is probably because of um, what I just what we were just talking about about the origins of the brass band. Really, you've got basically a room full of in the early stages, kind of uneducated. Uh, uh, working class men uh, and the instructors of the bands wanted to find a way of teaching them how to play these instruments in as efficient and quick a way as possible and so teaching them all to play in the same clef whatever instrument they've got I think is where it 
is where it came from. But if you, if, you know, if you're a pianist and you know that your right hand is the treble clef and it's high notes, and your left hand is the bass clef and it's low notes, then it's just weird coming across the. It's <laughs> just strange. It is, and as uh, speaking as a wind band uh, conductor that every now and then has had to make that jump <laughs> to depth for a gig, uh, it is. It, it's a it's a big difference, isn't it? Uh, yeah. do, have you ever dabbled in the in the wind band world at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, but I probably only really dabbled. It's not really f- f- because I, because I don't want to. It's just that I've got so many opportunities <laughs> opening up for me in the world of brass bands that that's mm. tend to do most work. Um, but you know, I've been doing a, a bit more wing band stuff actually during the lockdown, to be honest, when I've had a bit more time on my hands, there's a, a few brass band pieces of mine that I've always wanted to kind of convert to wind band. So yeah, I've made, I've made a good start on, on doing that and, um, sort of learning, feeling my way around the wind band score, which is, which nice. is much, much less known to my brain. But that's uh, that's definitely something for for, for to, to watch out for if uh, if you're a wind band person listening to this uh, to listen out for uh, more Philip Harper's uh, wind band music might maybe coming soon. Um, if you if you had sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say that one of my most popular brass band pieces was a piece I did for the um, London Olympic Games in 2012 called Olympus, and mm. so. That- that one I have managed to completely fully convert for wind bands because, uh, of course, we were due to have the Olympic Games this year in uh, t- uh, Tokyo, I think, wasn't it, in Japan? Mm. So, so yeah, they're postponed till next year. So uh, the wind band version of Olympus is available, and I'm looking at the Olympics next year thinking, oh, I hope it goes ahead next year now. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people, I mean, and I will give you the chance to do this at the end of the podcast as well, of course, but where can people find it, find your music and, and purchase it, actually, more, important, more importantly? Um, most of my stuff is sold on um, the Music Shop Europe, which is um, a website where um, it's mainly owned by Hal Leonard Music Company. So, mm. you know, all of, all of my brass band and wind band stuff uh, is on there. But I'm also music editor of um, Right and Round Music Publishers, which is a very historic music publishers, which kind of sprung up at the at the, uh, the same sort of time as the brass bands were springing up, really. Um, which is a publishing house in Gloucester where I live here. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they publish a lot of my stuff as well. And, they, and they've got their own web- website, writeandround.com. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of spread over a, a, a wide radius. <laughs> uh, well, I definitely I'll give you a chance at the very end to, to point people in all sorts of directions. Uh, but I want to I talk a little bit more now about the... Um, about 2020. Uh, so we, I just had the first opportunity to meet you this year when you uh, were involved with the Indoor Music Games uh, project. You had uh, composed a, composed a new anthem for the for the IMG. Um, tell me a little bit about your your work with the IMG this uh, th- th- this year. It was it seemed like a very interesting project, and for a year that both brass band was going to be struggling to run its activities, but then of course indoor music games definitely couldn't do their their thing this year either. Tell me yeah. a little bit about that project. Yeah, I mean, as we t- talked about last time, it, it was due to be tied up with a you know physical concert which we were going to be doing back back in back in May sometime, where we we're going to premiere this, which obviously didn't happen. So, um, so yeah, the project is ongoing, and we've had kind of hundreds of submissions now from all over the, all over the world, brass bands and wind bands, marching bands, I mean, you name it. Um, I composed a piece of music. We did the world premiere as a virtual distance performance with Corey, so everyone playing in their own living rooms. Uh, so the world premiere happened in an online video which was a first for me i have to say uh and then um yeah the guy with all the energy paul morgan who who's um who's there at the indoor music games to sort of push this out worldwide particularly into the usa uh actually i have to say uh and um yeah we, I, he's going for a guinness um world record as well for the largest number of virtual performers uh, and as i say that project is uh ongoing so anyone's welcome to welcome to join that project 
Yeah, and and as I said, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast came to it via the Finding Drum Corps podcast and all of those Drum Corps people that were listening to the Field Pass podcast this summer. So I know a lot of people are interested in in brass and they're interested in the marching arts. And so if you're interested in both of those, then the IMG project this year um, and the video that the uh, Corey band produced uh, with Philip's composition is definitely worth checking out. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Um the Cory Band, that was one of very many uh, uh, activities that the Cory Band was involved in this year. Um, the, you really sort of set the standard for, um, for for what bands could be could be doing. And, and, and I know I'm one. I mean, of course, I was uh, aware of the Cory Band before, but you're much more on my radar now than you've ever been before. Um, what is, what's the feedback? Before I get into the, the various different projects, what has the feedback been like to all of your projects this year? Has you seem to be more prolific than than ever before. <laughs> well, ironically, that that may well be the case. I mean, uh, <laughs> no getting away from the fact that we we all joined the band to take part in live live music, and that's the one thing which we haven't done for many many months. But uh, I mean, some of our some of our online figures are are absolutely jaw dropping. I mean, when the the guy who runs our social media tells me that since March, we've had nearly 4 million views of videos. And I, I'm emailing back going, oh, sorry, I think you put wow. it in place there. And he's like, no, 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 this is true. 4 million views. It's like, goodness me. I mean, you know, we couldn't have dreamed of having that kind of, uh, that kind of, those kind of numbers of, uh, of views in normal times. So I guess we have got this coronavirus pandemic to thank for that. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been we've basically just been trying to trying to innovate and adapt to these circumstances. But always in the background, we're thinking, you know, we can't wait to get back to back to live performance. I mean, unfortunately, I don't, I'm not sure when that will be. So we'll just have to keep coming up with new projects. But, uh, we, you know, we've still got the energy at the moment. Yeah, um, absolutely, and I mean the projects have been so so successful. So, um, you you started off with doing some doing weekend workshops um, near the beginning of this, and I know when um, I met you last, uh, you had just finished off the first of those workshops, and I think you did a, a workshop on on fro- music from Frozen actually for 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 people that wanted to be involved and worked on the piece of music and and produced a a recording of it at the end. Uh, tell me a little bit of the, the workshops that you've been running with all of your 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 top players. Yeah, we've done a, we've done a few uh, virtual brass days online, um, sort of aim, aimed at brass players from across the world, really, uh, which have which have been really successful. And, and again, it's nothing that we've ever done before, nothing we were expecting to do. So it's it's a kind of a learning curve for us, really. And we, you know, we're very careful to make sure we do a survey after each one so people can tell us what they enjoyed about it, what they didn't enjoy about it. Um, we At the end of August, we did a whole weekend, actually, a whole weekend's workshop, which was aimed more at young brass players. Uh, and um, it was actually Arts Council funded, so um, it was aimed at young Welsh brass players. Uh, and that was great fun. We had enough players to kind of divide into two bands there as well. Uh, and it's, you know, I have to be perfectly honest with you, it's a little bit weird, you know, sitting in my office here at home and never really hearing any of the people on the course, but nevertheless conducting it through uh, along to backing tracks. Uh, and then, like you say, two or three weeks later, our technical guy has kind of stitched it all together and, and we finally get to hear what all the players sound like, like all together. You know, it's <laughs> very, very different. Uh, but this is the way it has to be um, just for the moment. So, yeah, those those are the kind of brass workshops we've been doing and, and we'll do more um, before the year is out, I'm sure. So so tell me a little bit about uh, teaching and conducting via virtual band. Um, I've been doing a little bit of it this year as well. And I, 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 I would there's some things that I would never try now that I was trying at the beginning of this. And, and, and there's some things that I've learned that do work. Is there anything that you've noticed that actually is very positive from this virtual experience that might be something that you might carry into your, your future conducting and teaching and, uh, and, 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 and performing career? Well, well, I'm interested to hear your answer to that as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best way that I found to do it is, um, you know, leave all your inhibitions at the door, which is, you know, I guess a good 
thing to do if you're conducting in real life as well. Uh, get everyone on mute. Um, be be ready with your instructions on how you want the music shaped. Um, so you know, be so plan it proactively beforehand and know what you're going to say, uh, and then just go for it. Basically, try and try and inject as much personality and charisma into the the kind of gaping void which is your computer screen in front of you <laughs> from which you're getting absolutely no feedback whatsoever <laughs> but ju but just to kind of you know carry on through all that ignore all that and just try and deliver from your side of things as close to an authentic um, conducting delivery as you can and that's that's what has worked best for me um, there's a purity in that though isn't there you know there's a you know where you're i i, I asked mark heron uh, recently about something very similar you know where he was uh running his uh, shareborn uh conducting camp and they were asking people to conduct to silence a lot of the time because there was no band or piano player that could follow them because of virtual uh conducting you know and and, and conducting into silence there's there's almost a purity of interpretation in something like that if you want to be philosophical about it i suppose yeah, yeah, I know. well, yeah, well, exactly. No, you don't make <laughs> conducting anyway, do you? But I mean, I think the people on our workshops, one of the one of the biggest points of feedback is that they just want to play as much as they possibly can. Uh, and one of the things we learn very early on is um, if if <laughs> if you have more than one person with their microphone on at that point, then chaos soon ensues. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, we've just kind of been doing it, doing it a different way, really. Um, but they get a lot of playing from the tutor. The tutors don't get a lot of listening, to be perfectly honest with you. But you know, like I say, that's that is how it has to be for now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Corey Online Brass Band Championships. Then, uh, when was that? When did that concept come to life? Uh, obviously, we talked earlier on about the brass band championships being a big part of the activity and a big driving force behind uh the the band's uh, the band's uh calendar year when did Corey brass band decide to step up to fill that void for many of the brass bands around around the islands we took the decision to try something like that quite a few months ago probably back in back in may or june but it, it coincided with when we were um, successful in a grant application to Arts Council Wales. So we we were pleased because we knew we were going to be able to limp along for the next sort of five or six months uh, with, with no other income. Uh, and so we, we basically sat down and planned out those six months and said, look, why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? And quite a few things on the table. Uh, and um, yeah, obviously the trend is that just, you know, all the events are being cancelled. And I mean, even just today a few hours ago the all the uk regional brass band competitions have been cancelled for 2021 now so absolutely dropping like flies so i guess it was a sort of an obvious conclusion for us to reach uh, really the foden's band up in um, in cheshire in england had, had very successfully done a virtual wit friday march competition back in may uh, and so I, I guess we wanted to just kind of develop that idea and open it out to a kind of freestyle program, um, which is what we've just staged over the last couple of weekends. To um, uh, it, it was a it was a massive success. I mean, it was a runaway success, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, going back to what we were touching on earlier, I think the fact that this kind of competitive environment of the contest has been lost, sort of cut off, to so many people uh, who, you know, a lot of them probably signed up to play in a brass band because they wanted to play in a contest. And uh, a lot of bands were attracted to our contest uh, and the bands were just absolutely brilliant. There were 68 of them. They all put together absolutely fantastic sort of 10 minute freestyle entertainment programs on the videos. Uh, yeah, and we and we organized them into the five sections like the, like the divisions. And, um, uh, and we presented it like a, you know, like a proper TV program, like the, like the X Factor, really. And uh, <laughs> everyone seems to have uh, received it very well. Yeah, I, I noticed that your um, your setup for your for your studio has really improved over the course of the year since the last time that I've talked to you. Your your setup really looked very professional for these videos. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, 
we've got we're very fortunate to have Ali Woodman. Is uh, he plays in our percussion section, and um, th- you know this lockdown has just been perfect for him and his skills. He, he works as a sort of a, in digital marketing in his day job. And uh, yeah, he's pushed the band into all sorts of new areas, really. So he, you know, he gets the credit for developing everything on the technical side. What was that? What was actually happening on the contest was there were five of us socially distanced in a room, uh, and we all, we each had a separate camera on us. And um, so, yeah, we were we were talking to each other in the room and broadcasting. And Ali made it, as you say, look extremely professional and, and just linked to the video seamlessly one after the other. Well, I mean, it almost isn't a surprise that you guys managed to, to make that look so professional. Everything that you've done this year has 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 looked has had, had that sheen of professionalism to it but what really caught me was the professionalism and the standard of some of these virtual videos that the bands were producing um i mean i don't have time to talk through so many of them by the, how many how many entries did you have actually before i mentioned the mentioned the irish winner <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be able to that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we we had uh, six sixty eight bands um, took uh, took to the competition. Yeah, we so there were twenty bands in the fourth section, which is a massive section. Amazing. Uh, so, uh, and then you know, on average sort of fifteen fifteen bands in each section, something like that. Yeah, so a huge number of bands were. I mean, and I take my hat off to them because even to enter something like that when it's so far away from what you would normally be doing. It does take a real sort of amount of bravery to do that. So yeah, hats off to all the bands. And did the, did many of the bands um, have support with, with producing these, these videos? I mean, I know it was such a learning curve for me to be involved with some of these virtual projects this year. Um, but to see so many bands finding the the skills and finding the right people to produce these videos um, seems phenomenal to me, really. Yeah, I, well, I think you know, I guess uh, these these things happen when they're required to happen, don't they? And yeah, band, bands that have like like we fortunately do at Corey, they have bands that have the personnel in them to kind of take on this learning curve are the fortunate ones. Other bands I know drafting help from. Uh, kind of outside as well um, with video editing and all sorts of other image manipulation and sound recording and uh, all kinds of other stuff as well. But one of the other unique features of the Corey contest was that we allocated each band a mentor to, to get them through the process, which was basically a member of Corey band who had um, experienced all of the online projects we'd been doing and was able to kind of give the benefit of their knowledge and experience to to every band in the contest that's fantastic i mean that's that, that's that's an amazing amount of support that you, you your your band has been been giving the whole community of bands this year um tell me a little bit about the uh the the winning bands of the various sections um i mean i i, I had a chance to see the downshire brass uh, who won section one um there um over the last couple of days and it's just the most phenomenal online performance um and and really a, a worthy winner i'm sure um tell me a little bit about that performance in particular yeah, that, that performance was unique because um, we had three adjudicators on each contest uh, and they independently came to their own decisions and they ranked all of the bands in order and then we combined the rankings to decide the overall winner. Uh, and the Downship Brass Band was the only band that had unanimity across the judges. They All of the judges awarded them first place, which was the only wow. time that happened in the whole of the competition. Uh, and for good reason as well, because uh, I mean their their presentation was incredible, and and the thing that stood out for me on that presentation, which was also present in a few others, to be honest with you, was the amount of planning and creative, imaginative thought that had gone into it in the early stages. You know, they weren't just kind of you know knocking along and seeing what happened. They they you know their conductor Michael Olcorn had it all planned out beforehand. Uh, it had a brilliant plan, both in terms of the music, what it was going to sound like, and what it was going to look like as well, which players in the band were going to be featured. Uh, I mean, it kind of ticked every single every single box, uh, that particular performance. So it really was a standout performance. I mean, if you haven't seen it, uh, I know we've been floating all the winning performances on the band's Facebook page this week. So 
that you should check it out. It's astonishing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, it was shared today on the uh, Bands of Ireland page for any, any of my Irish colleagues. And uh, we'll share it on the Global Band Room uh, Facebook page and, and, and group now after this too. Uh, it, it's it's absolutely worth watching. Um, is there any way that people can see some of the other performances over the, over the coming days and weeks? Yeah, I mean, um, we had about 20 hours of footage altogether, and they are all available on uh, Corey Band's YouTube channel. So if anyone's got a spare 20 hours, <laughs> they're, they're all there. Like I say, it's, it's five episodes, really. Uh, sorry, sorry, four episodes, five sections, four episodes. Uh, and um, the final episode is the championship section bands and then the results ceremony for all the bands as well. So, yeah, you can find them all on the band's YouTube channel, and we've had well over 100,000 views of those now, um, wow. which, is, which is, again, astonishing, considering that they were less than a week ago. Well, congratulations on it all. Um, it's it's a, it's amazing work, Philip, and uh, congratulations to you, to the band, to all of the 2,000 performers I, I, I read that, that per- performed in the championships over the, over the course of the last month. Um, it's it's amazing work. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, your set, your where where people can find um, more information about your work, how they can get in contact with you, and how they can find out more about the Corey Band and all of these amazing projects that you um, are continuously running. Yes, well, yeah, thank you very much for your kind comments. That, that's very generous of you. Uh, I mean, we start with the Corey Band. We, we, I mean, Facebook seems to be where it all happens uh, these days. So. Uh, yeah, if you can like and follow the Corey Band Facebook page. Uh, our latest announcement just a few hours ago today was that, in fact, we are going to run another online championship. So we're going to do it all again next February. Uh, so uh, if you want to know more about it, then check out our Facebook page or on Twitter as well. We've got a website, coreyband.com. Uh, and, um, yeah, I've got my own website as well, philipharper.co.uk. Uh, and um, I guess if you check out either the Corey Band or my website, then you'll 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 find out the information you need to know. And uh, I've got lots of composition projects on the go. And um, we, I mean, the holy grail at the moment is we're trying to get the band back together to meet in some form or other. So we we've got a, a concert mooted at the Welsh College of Music and Drama in Cardiff in a few weeks' time. That, that is a physical concert where we're going to play in some small groups. So I'm looking forward to that, but a bit trepidatious as well, of course, because, uh, you know, that could be cancelled at the last minute. So, yeah, there's lots going on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I hope, to, I hope people can keep in touch in those, in those ways. Well, Philip, thanks for all your work and uh, thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you very much. A huge thank you to Philip for joining me this week and taking time out from what is clearly a very, very busy schedule. Uh, You can find all of the links to his and the Corey Band's projects over on our website, www.globalbandroom.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode and all of the other shows, episodes and documentaries that we produce. I'll be back next week talking to more great guests from around the band world, so head over to your favourite podcast app and make sure you subscribe. And in the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Global Band Room. So until next time, stay safe and I'll see you back in the band room.